Awesome. So the, the message tonight is, is kind of a question. It's, are you fighting spiritual depression? Um, now, this is a different kind of depression than just any kind of depression, okay? It's a spiritual depression that hits God's people, okay? So I'm kind of speaking to the saved tonight, speaking to the godly. If you are not right with God, you will always have an opportunity to do that at the end of all the services through something called an altar call. It's a place of death, dying to yourself, and at the beginning of your death is the beginning of God's life in you. We don't take altar calls lightly. Um, Sometimes we get into struggling with the same sin a million times over and ask God for forgiveness a million times over, and those types of things can send you into spiritual depression because you never feel like you have the victory over something. But an altar call is a place of death. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where new beginnings happen. It's a place where old things pass away and all things become new. So always remember that for the altar call. Um, So... This has to do with fighting spiritual depression. We're going to kind of talk a little bit tonight, hit on David, Ezekiel, Elijah, Jesus with a couple of disciples after he had um, died on the cross and the walk that he had. If you're familiar with the Jerusalem, the walk to Emmaus and what happened with that. And then also uh, just a little snippet from Joshua about Joshua as well. So as, as I look around, this is where this is kind of coming from. You see that it seems like evil is prevailing. It seems like darkness is, is uh, kind of starting to overshadow and overcome the light. It seems like there's so many bad things going on. We get to the point where we ask if we kind of want to give up or why did I even start this journey to begin with, if there's going to be struggle and persecution, and it's, it's very rough. So um, a lot of Christians, a lot of godly people, even in the Church of New Hope, um, seem on the verge of giving up. You, we seem like we're on the verge of giving up and maybe we, you know someone in this condition or even maybe starting to feel that downward spiral yourself uh, of hopelessness. Um, sometimes these are, 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 are actual events that we can pinpoint and say that this is what caused this in my life. We're able to point to that. Another time there's just kind of the uh, undefined wall of, of darkness that we seem to run into. So some of these things we can pinpoint, some of these things we can't. Um, this wall of darkness that might seem to be ahead and it offers no hope or no way out. And people, when, when we get to these places, it seems like the people of God often make wrong decisions. So we're making wrong decisions. It leads us to um, these actions that no one would ever believe that we would consider of do, be consider doing. And these are saved people. These are godly people that, um, to speak to this evening. Um, so King David kind of dealt with this. We know the story in 1 Samuel 30, this sense of loss went, which came into his heart, causing him to weep. There were, there were no tears left in David. There's no doubt that um, when, when these things happen, that all of hell starts to whisper in our ears to simply end it right there right then and there just end it and it'll all be over and these are the things that the people of God suffer with these thoughts these doubts um so with the past that David had filled with regret the the this uh the the past and the hopeless future looking dark David did what every Christian what every godly person that's fighting depression should do and it says in first Samuel 36 he encouraged himself in the Lord This is, I think, a lot easier said than done. Amen? 
uh, getting to the point where, like this morning, I'm at a crossroads. I need to decide very quickly what I'm going to do with my Christianity here. And I think new hope. It is time to clean out those specific places where you used to pray. It's time to clean out the physical, literal clover. This is in my case, if I can be open and honest with you tonight. Because sometimes it goes from that to, well, I'll settle for a couch, I'll settle for an office, I'll settle. And any place is great, but sometimes we forsake those places of prayer. And it's time to literally clean house, clean closets, clean underneath the stairs. Wherever it is that you pray, it's time to clean those places out and get back to this. It's a place of mercy. God will give you mercy. But it's time to start praying and kind of checking yourself in your own salvation. And like it says in 1 Samuel 36, he or she or we encouraged ourselves in the Lord. Whether it be through worship, whether it be through the word of God. We had a brother struggling the other day on Facebook and I said, this is the war that every saint faces. This is the war that everybody faces if you are willing to fight. You will be a target if you're willing to fight. If you're not fighting, you're probably living a life of ease, spiritually, in decline, not really caring a whole lot. But if you start to fight and pick up some of the weaponry that God has given us, you will find yourself to be a target of the enemy. Encouraging ourselves in the Lord, stirring ourselves up, New hope needs to get back to this so we can, again, impact this community that God has placed us in. So we must have, um, David must have thought about all the, the history like we do, like how God has been so faithful to us and how David probably remembered that he was once given this supernatural ability to overcome these things and not allow things to conquer him such as lions and, and bears. And he knew that it was supernatural and it caused him to pray. The moment, after these moments of defeat, the moment he began talking to God, the plan and strength of the Lord was revealed to him again. That's encouraging to me. Because I allow the enemy to beat me up. Like I said, like several weeks ago, I feel that God has given the ability to be pretty good at most of the things that I put my hands to or mine to. But when it comes to trying to measure up to the Lord, I can't do it. And it makes you feel like a failure, does it not? So we can't measure up to these standards. Some of us say, well, why even try? And then we give up. So if we understand the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God and the power that He is willing to equip us with, it'll change New Hope Church. It'll change us. And it'll be an attractive testimony when we say to the world, we fail, we have failed, but we're not stopping there. So you have uh, the, the moment he began talking to God again. I had another status the other day that said, a praying man stops sinning, but a sinning man stops praying. You can say amen to that because it is true. If you are caught up in sin, you will not pray. It is pointless. But if you start to pray, you stop sinning. When you start to really get a hold of God. New Hope Church needs to do this. So this, this strength, this plan was revealed to him again. Amen for that. He arose and, and he experienced kind of a new victory, a new song in, in the midnight hour. And I'm, I'm asking New Hope, please don't ever give up. You will suffer from spiritual depression. 
And, and I want to tell you a little bit later on that if you are godly and you are attempting to be godly, God is not offended by the fact that you are struggling sometimes spiritually because it happens. It happens to us. It happens to people in leadership that are in the ministry. It happens. It's a spiritual depression. And God is not offended by this. I'm not talking about willful sin and willful struggle. I'm talking about an honest attempt at serving the Lord and we get worn out. Like Pastor was saying this morning, that it wears out the saints. So this spiritual depression, I want to say that through this, the Lord will keep you. The darkness is, is an illusion. It's an illusion. The struggles that you're going through, right this very moment with your family, with your children, with uh, your marriage, with a, a besetting sin, this darkness that Satan will try to make look real to you is an illusion, So I'm asking New Hope Church specifically, don't ever give up. This darkness whispers, has whispers of hopelessness that, that, that the enemy puts in my ear. It tells me everything that Jesus said isn't true. And I'm telling the church tonight, Jesus loves you and that joy can be yours again. The church has lost joy. The joy, his joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The church has lost joy. So Jesus kind of warned his disciples that in the last days that iniquity would abound. He tells us that. We're experiencing that. Such an outbreak of, of godlessness, of lawlessness. It, he says that it will abound. It will cause many to grow cold and our love for Jesus and for others to wax cold. You can see Matthew 24 for that. So as we kind of look around, it's evident that our society it's evident. There is evidence. We always want evidence. People can say all they want, but we have to have evidence. You can see the evidence that is becoming increasingly vile. And, it's, and it can be scary, especially to those of you who have babies in your arms and children and grandchildren. What have we done? And God is telling you he's going to take care of you and he's going to keep you. So this, this scorning of everything that is godly, everything that I try to do or say or act, people come against it. It's scorned, it's mocked. Constantly being in the midst at your job and sometimes family gatherings and things that you see on social media. Uh, constantly being in the midst of this, this godlessness, this lawlessness. It, it can start to drive out, of drive out the love that we have to do a work of God. It starts to drive out our drive. It starts to drive out the love that we have to do a work for God and not to become discouraged in it. The work of God is, obvi is, is obviously the redemption of the lost. So all of this starts to kind of drive this love for the work of God out of our hearts and push it out of our hearts. So now we have many believers in the church, many believers in the church that are, that are sighing. And I want to get to a couple of scriptures, but in, in, in this final moment, you can see, and this is with, with David of a particular society, we kind of see this sign coming on the hearts of the godly people. What is the use? Why did I even begin this journey? And the, you, you kind of... Picture these godly people, walk. this is us walking through the streets with this constant 
cry, this constant sigh. God, it's so hard to live here in this moment. Godlessness is everywhere. What can we do? What kind of difference can we make? It's so hard to see the the desensitization of our young people and the youth and the media and the degeneration of our entire society. It's hard to watch. It's on every level. It's hard to witness. It's hard to live through. Everything that we hold dear, everything that, that we love is being mocked, it's being ridiculed, it's being trampled, quite frankly, is it not? And I want to say to you tonight that God hears those sighs of His people. So if you are spiritually depressed, discouraged, some of you are kind of coming up out of it. Some of you aren't putting forth any effort. I'm not talking about your own strength and how that can accomplish it can't. I'm talking about there's just no effort anymore by the people of God in the church to set aside time to pray and to worship. We, I mean, uh, half the church shows up on Sunday nights. What can we expect if we can't gather corporately when the doors are open? What are people's prayer lives like? It's just the truth. We are all guilty of this. Last night was a refreshing time of prayer for me with seven or eight guys here at, at, on the property of, of the church. Um, I needed it. You ever walk away from a prayer session like, man, that's what I needed, but it takes so much to go there, to get there, and then when you're done, you're like, man, that was good. Man, the enemy hates you. He just does. In Psalm 12, even David shared kind of something similar to this time in his life. You remember that David, he was destined. God had called him. He had destined, he was destined to be the king of Israel. Everything was going to turn around one day. He had been through battle after battle. One day, remember, it says that David danced before the Lord, but that time was afar off from this moment. And he was going through this spiritual depression. He would dance before the Lord in the ark of the Lord. And, and it, but before that time had come, David had to walk through this season. And I believe I'm in a season right now. It's maybe coming off of victories and the most dangerous place, I think, sometimes is coming off of a, of a victory and sinking right back down into where you were before or thinking that somehow God doesn't like you or he's mad at you or you have failed and we start to, maybe we live off that victory for a while without continuing to seek God. So David had to walk through this season where everything seemed to be against him. Have you ever felt like that? And, and society at the time was going in the complete opposite direction of godliness, right? So David kind of began this psalm in Psalm 12, 1 by saying, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. Now it doesn't say for the sinner ceaseth, ceaseth. It says the godly people, the people that were supposed to be walking with God, doing right acts and acting holy and living righteously before God. He says, help because even the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. So even godly people are falling left and right. In other words, this godliness is fading so rapidly, you kind of feel powerless just powerless to stop it or to do anything. And I'm telling you, it's, it's like that old saying, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer we get to the end, the faster it goes. 
I'm telling you, with the sin and the iniquity abounding, does it not seem like that? One thing after another. Psalm 12, 2 says, They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. So basically the psalm is saying that their, their lips are full of these empty words. Whatever they say they're going to do, they don't do. They're not faithful, they're not committed. They can talk a talk, but they can't live it. So the, 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 they lie without a conscience, and they use the Lord's name without any regard. So this is snowballing in our country, in our land, in the churches. And even churches are, are doing these things. I read an article the other day. You haven't seen this. There's a particular church in our country that is now, instead of being gay, they call it SSA, which means same-sex attraction. So the husbands will be physically and sexually attracted to another male. They're married. They have children. They're within a church, a sect, and they, they have an understanding with each other. And same-sex attraction doesn't mean that you are gay. It means that you have a physical attraction, a sexual attraction to the same gender, but you are not going to act on it. Your wife knows it. Your kids know it. The community knows it. Because if they act on it, they'll get kicked out of that church. But now it's a whole group of people that are doing this. And the gay community is very offended by that. Because if you're gay, be gay, right? So anything, anything goes. Do you remember the people in their, um, we had people that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s saying, you can't tell me who I love. If I love an eight-year-old boy, I love an eight-year-old boy. There was a huge article on this. There are people in legislation trying to pass this stuff. Snowballing, godlessness, spiritual depression. What can we do? about this and it gets good because there's a lot we can do so psalm 12 4 says who have said with our tongue we will prevail our lips out our own who is lord over us who can tell me what to do i can do whatever i want and say whatever i want go wherever i want live however i want remember we talked about the nicolaitans who who live um completely against the word of God, do whatever they want, and then expect the blessing of God on it. And you have the neo-gnosticism, which is similar to that. All these things that have been man-made. So in other words, they have kind of cast off all restraint. We're, they're governed, we are governed by our own corruption. Um, this, 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 this false or, or faulty reasoning it's this sin that my dad even sang about this morning in the garden that had taken place. The sin nature of man takes over. The seed that Satan had sown into the human race, into the garden of Eden. So humanity, we embraced all the devil's lies and, and that says you can be as God and you can make your own decisions. Kind of determining with your own speech what is good, what is evil. You don't have to listen to God anymore. He's not the one. He's not he doesn't have the only opinion. And we buy this. It's kind of like in our day where evil has now become good and good has become evil. This is where 
We are. But you notice that this, the, this, this psalm, Psalm 12.5, it doesn't end without hope, which is the great thing about God, because he always offers hope and mercy. For the oppression of the poor, Psalms 12.5 says, For the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. In other words, God is saying, I hear, church, new hope, you're sighing. I, I know what comes against you. I know what you're going through. I know what you're battling through. But now in this scripture it says, now I'm going to arise, says the Lord. Now I'm going to arise and put you in a place where you will not be triumphed over. Glory. So if you currently, at this moment, kind of find yourself in a, a season of, you know, the Bible says that sin chases us, does it not? If you find yourself in a season where despair is, is, is after you, like we read in the Bible all the time where, where armies would chase David into a cave and chase Elijah and he, being chased by despair and hopelessness. You need, New Hope Church, you need to be assured that it will not conquer you. It will not conquer you. If you are a godly person, if you are attempting to live godly with your actions, with your speech, and we all fail at this, but then you ask for forgiveness, you receive God's grace, His mercy is forgiveness, you get up the righteous man seven times, which means unlimited, just keep getting up and keep going after me. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. God hears these sighs. He has promised to set us in a place of safety. Hallelujah. Of safety. Psalm 12, 7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It's good to be preserved. God will keep us, it says. You have to remember that in this life, in our, in our time, a time... Uh, such as this. There is much left to do. There is much left to do. The prophet Elijah is kind of another example that kind of experienced this spiritual depression. And in this particular case, it was after a, a pretty big victory. So you have Elijah and all the prophets of Baal. They'd gathered on Mount Carmel. And I'm not going to go through all the scripture. Most of us know the story. There was kind of a confrontation before truth and before a lie, right? Kind of a truth versus a lie. Truth versus um, this, this false religion, this false spirituality. It was so confusing to the people even serving in that religion, the prophets of Baal, that they were so confused and frustrated that they actually would cut and gash themselves with lancets and knives. And that goes on today with our young people because of confusion, because of, because of hiding this, this pain so they can temporarily escape their reality so they can focus on a, a cutting their inner leg or their wrists and kind of sawing back and forth so they can just temporarily for a moment deal with physical pain so they don't have to confront all of this pain and frustration and confusion that they're going through. Because they're calling on gods and they're trying to live life and they're trying to find happiness and nothing is becoming of it. And that's what these prophets were doing. And Elijah was a pretty confident uh, man in the Lord. And, and Elijah and all the prophets of Baal, they had gathered on Mount Carmel with this confrontation. And in the end, the, the, the literal fire of God came down. Now I know that sometimes I picture a move of God to be and to kind of play out in a certain way. Have you ever done that? 
Do you have kind of an idea of what a move of God could look like? A real move of God. A real move of God. Do you ever picture anything in your mind? What is that to you? What does a real move of God look like? What is it? Kind of think about that. So the literal fire of God came down. The Bible says it actually licked up the water. We know this, that was in the trench and consumed Elijah's sacrifice and made the other people look foolish. That was a pretty big victory. 400 prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18.39 says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It would be kind of scary and fearful, wouldn't it? So they had this realization. So Ahab, at the time, wanted to go back to Jezreel, if I remember correctly, and tell Jezebel what had happened. And, oh, you, you have to hear about what just happened and what I just witnessed. I witnessed this entire ordeal on Mount Carmel. He got into his chariot and he started heading back to Jezreel. So maybe he was going back to report to Jezebel. Maybe he was really excited about what happened. And I saw the fire of God come down. I saw, I witnessed the prophets of Baal and all their foolishness. And, and, and it, um, all their foolishness that produced absolutely nothing. I saw it. I was there. I witnessed it. Maybe Ahab was going to say. And then maybe he said, I saw this prophet, Elijah. I saw him re repair, prepare, and repair an altar and step back. And he just said a few simple words and called down to his God. And all of a sudden, fire came down. I saw it with my own eyes. So we have this picture of what a move of God should look like. So Elijah then headed to Jezreel as well. The Bible obviously tells us that the Spirit of God came upon him. He outran Ahab's chariot. I wonder why Elijah was excited. I've been a part of a lot of pretty cool things with God. And you feel like when those types of things happen that you can capitalize on it and you have momentum and Maybe great things will happen, or maybe because of this happening, these people will believe too. Does that make sense? You ever get your hopes up like that? So the Spirit of God came upon Elijah. He outran Ahab's chariot. Maybe Elijah thought back at this place that because of what had happened, that maybe uh, uh, God was priming them for a move of God in that city. Maybe... Um, Maybe the government would bend their knees to God. He had momentum, a great victory, something that had just happened on top of Mount Carmel. Maybe it can happen here. Maybe it can happen here. And you can't blame him for the excitement. So God had manifested his glory. Um, there was evidence through what had happened on Mount Carmel of the reality of this gospel that was being preached. So maybe Elijah thought, this has to change more people. This was amazing. God, you are good. Maybe this will change the government here. Maybe this will cause them to bend their knees. But we know what happened. It was kind of on the contrary. They actually spiraled down even more deeply into uh, an intensified hostility and anger to the point that Jezebel even threatened to kill Elijah, right? What was he expecting? 
So this happens to us. We live by what we're seeing and we get really discouraged, really spiritually depressed, even off of a victory. So if you kind of consider our own nation today, you would think that the government or people in our nation would kind of recall our roots as a nation. There's evidence that obviously God made this nation great. And you would think that people would honor that and recall that and kind of incorporate and integrate that into how they run government and business. But then when we see how things are truly unfolding, it's not very encouraging. He took people from all over the world. He, this is the melting pot of the world, right? Just a few, a few short eras of time, he managed to do something in America, in the United States, that had really never been done throughout history. You can think technologically. Think about our history. Think about our roots. And the people and the men and the women and the children and the families that helped um, found this country. And, and what he did socially, economically, things that were happening that had never happened. So we obviously have not been perfect in this, but the country began with, with a, a, a genuine, sincere regard to the things of God. And you would think maybe as we kind of look back on those roots that we would be able to take that and kind of uh, assimilate it or, or acclimate it into what we're currently doing. And you would think that kind of knowing America's history, it would cause people that you would never think would bend their knees to God, maybe they would bend their knees to God because of what has happened in the past. And we look around and we can easily get discouraged and we're thinking now in 2015, man, what is it going to take for God to touch this nation? What is it going to take? And what, what will cause us to finally turn from what seems to be to me and I know to you this, this, this current path or course to destruction? What is it going to take? What is it going to take? Scripture kind of tells us that the Lord, and this is why I had you think of what a great move of God looks like to you in your own mind. Because it doesn't have to be any of that. Anything you're thinking of, I can't wait until people fall out in the spirit without being pushed, and I can't wait until people are healed, and I can't wait until there's a, a, a prophecy or a message in, in, in another tongue and, and all these things and, and worship and these emotional, euphoric type of atmospheres that we can create for our emotions to run high and then we get excited and we commit, I'll never be the same and then we go right back immediately to being the same and what we're doing sometimes even worse. But these great moves of God, this is what happened. The scripture actually tells us that the Lord came and spoke to Elijah how? in a still, small voice. And at that moment, that's all Elijah needed. That's all he needed because of his spiritual depression and discouragement that he was going through. This is to the church tonight. Where are you this evening? When is the last what or when is the last streak or phase of prayer you've had every day without missing? We fail. We forget God day, days without number, but it's been a long time for some of us. 
of trusting God by faith. He spoke tenderly in 1 Kings 19.12 to let him know that, um, that he was not offended by Elijah's discouragement. And in the way, same way, the Lord, the Lord I'm t- God is telling us tonight, if you are seeking God, if you are attempting to live a godly life, the Lord is not offended by your situation that you find yourself in tonight. He knows what you're going through and what, how you're struggling. He knows these things. And he's not upset to the point where he doesn't want to hear from you and we give him the silent treatment so we back off. He's not sitting in heaven with his arms folded or shaking his head because you're going through a season of spiritual depression. Do you understand that God met Elijah in his despair and lovingly told him that there was much left to do, even if he could not fully understand it yet? Even we we don't fully understand what's going on around us. At that moment, Elijah did not realize that one day all of Israel was going to live for God. He didn't understand the lineage of David. He didn't understand that a Savior was going to come from that to be sent for the sins of the world. He didn't understand that, that um, the church, uh, he couldn't see the church ruling and reigning with Christ. He couldn't see all of that then because of little decisions that he would choose to obey or defy against. He needed encouraged. Do you need encouraged tonight? It's just as the scripture kind of says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that we only see now through a glass darkly or a mirror. We only know part of it. Not much, Paul says. We only know a little bit of it. But then, when that day comes, when our faith is made sight, the song says, we're going to understand. But you know, we don't need to understand now. There's a day coming when we're going to have a full understanding of this. And God's going to recreate our minds to be able to understand it. Because we cannot enter heaven and have the minds, these finite minds we have now. We wouldn't understand anything. God is calling you to love him and to serve him and to fear him and to honor him and to live for him by faith and faith alone. Faith is the basis of trust. What's the point? We say that we trust God, but if we don't have faith, it's null and void. So until then, we have to um, have the Lord lift us out of our despair so that we can carry on. So as we kind of return, I want to talk about kind of Jesus on the road to Emmaus in the book of Luke, we kind of find a story of this other time where it seemed as it seemed as if godlessness, this godless religion was prevailing, um, stripping many of even Jesus' followers of the hope they once had. Uh, it, the two disciples had left Jerusalem. They were heading in another direction shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, but they didn't know about that second part yet about the actual resurrection. So they were, they were walking. This kind of represents um, those who once had hope. If there's anyone here tonight, New Hope Church, who once had hope, I'm included in this, it's time to revisit those places of hope. 
And it kind of represented the, 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 those who once had hope, but in their mind that hope had been lost in our minds. Jesus himself walked with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he began to ask the, the, the reason for their, their, their sadness. What's going on? Why are you guys so upset? Now, here's how they responded in Luke 24, 19 through 21. Basically, it says, have you not heard? Are you only a stranger here? God sent his son, and we had hoped. Past tense. Man, we thought everything was going to be better. It, it was all that was left of their story, of their testimony, that they had walked with the Savior, and now he was gone. They had hoped. And this is all they had left is their testimony, that we had hoped that he was the one who was going to deliver us. We had hoped that he would bring this, this godliness back into maybe our nation and free us of, at the time, the uh, suppression, the oppression of the Roman Empire. We had hoped. And, and, and kind of to add insult to injury, so the phrase and saying goes, our own religious system delivered him up to be crucified. So it's in the past now. Man, we had hoped. There, everybody in here has to have an absolutely hopeless situation. Hopeless. Something you're aspiring to be in God that hasn't come yet. A miracle you're praying for. Deliverance you're praying for from something that has a stronghold on you. Is that your mindset tonight? We had hoped. God help us. God help the church. God help New Hope Church. We had hoped. It's in the past. So, so in kind of in their eyes at the moment, this, this godless society, this godless religion had prevailed, had won the day. So we, we do this. You and I, we, we do this. We draw this same conclusion we consider the, the, the masses and the, how dense sin can be, the volume of sin and foolishness on television that, that, that has this facade of religion or masquerades the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're like, how, how long will God permit this? How long is God going to permit this stuff even to go on like on TV with even holy water and cloth and seeker-friendly and seeker-sensitive churches that spring up overnight with no prayer into them, but because they have a formula in their community with young, attractive uh, young men and women who can speak well and deliver a four-point mess PowerPoint. And these churches spring up, and we know there's not something right about these. You have these emerging and emergent churches, these chantings, these euphoric worship events where young people will worship for four or five hours and then they walk away and their lives are the exact same. How long is this going to prevail? How long is God going to permit these things from happening? I'm telling you, it's so real Christians can start to stand out. Do you accept that? Do you accept that challenge? And if you love God with all your heart and you understand His mercy, you won't think, ah, oh, this is so hard. 
It's not because the Bible says my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I delight in restoring my people. God help us. Help me please. So you have, you know, these frauds, these impostures. How long are they going to be allowed on television to deceive these, the people, the masses? And they're, they're, they're robbing the people of God of being able to accurately display or manifest an example of what should be a godly Christian life. So Jesus walked with these two disciples. This is where it gets good. And he began to kind of unfold these scriptures and showing them that, that, that godless religion will never win. It will never win. It will never conquer you. It will never, never prevail. And all it can do is kind of fulfill God's plan. Do you believe that, that this is all part of fulfilling God's plan? That he has everything under control? And it's part of fulfilling this plan of redemption for humanity and and, and for the strengthening of his church? I got excited preparing this tonight because this is, there's hope here. There's hope. But new hope, please, please. Go back to those places that once had meaning and had value to you, where you spent time and you woke up just a little bit early. It's affecting our whole lives. It's affecting everything. You are an integral part of this puzzle. The 99 sheep, the missing one, God went away for it because it was an integral part of this puzzle for the last days. So as, as they kind of approached, they were walking with, with Jesus. They were approaching the, the village maybe. And God had everything under control. Everything is in subjection to the will of God. God is sovereign. They started to approach the, the village and the two disciples. Uh, they urged this man to stay with them. And, and, and that evening we know that Jesus sat at the table. They broke bread with him. And the Bible tells us that that night their eyes were opened. Like, whoa, who is this guy? He's not just a stranger. Have you not heard? He, he's the guy. Suddenly the disciples recognized truth. That's one of his names, truth. They recognized truth. Jesus had triumphed over the devil and had broken all the bondages, captivity, and bands of sin, of death and hell. And then they finally realized it. Whoa, this is him. We thought he was dead. What do you think is dead in your life tonight? It is, it is stopping us from moving forward. But until it's out of our hearts, God won't let us move forward. We tried that? Man, this is good. So the disciples realized that they were at that moment. And New Hope needs to realize you are not on the losing side. You are not on the losing side. Our hearts need to begin with, to burn within us again, just like they had with the disciples. They started to burn within the disciples again as they started heading back to where? Jerusalem. They started heading back to Jerusalem. Well, what's Jerusalem? It's a place where they had lost hope. It's a place that was kind of, it was death. But they started heading back to that place. What is dead to you tonight? What what did you have hope in? Used to, past tense. We had hoped. You headed back to what in the natural would seem like a place of, of, of defeat. 
of destruction, of, of despair. A place where the enemy had ultimately triumphed. And you're going back there? But once this truth started to become revealed in their hearts, they couldn't be stopped. It was in that place, in that place of death, in that place of defeat, remember that the Holy Spirit ended up coming down and moving. So I want to ask you to revisit those places tonight of death, of despair, of defeat, the place where you had hoped. I'm going to ask you to do a 180, turn around, and start going back and confront and start heading back to that place that used to be considered death and despair and ask God to breathe hope into it where the Holy Spirit can move. If you are in a place like that, that is an absolute invitation to a miracle tonight. God, do a work in us. It causes, them to, it causes us to partake in this victory. This type of victory is, 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 is kept from or hidden from the people who do not know the Spirit of God. But we're supposed to. Full gospel. Pentecostal, Spirit of God. The Lord is telling us new hope to get up tonight. To get up. Are you in a place of spiritual depression? Kind of speaks of a time when uh, Joshua, the commander of the children of Israel, had also found himself in this moment of despair. The Israelites, we all know these stories, but hopefully to bring them to life in this way, the, the Israelites had gone and to take possession of the promised land, and after this incredible victory at Jericho had taken place, they were defeated um, by, a, uh, by a pretty insignificant army at Ai, right? So they go from a huge victory down to this really horrible defeat. This small uh, conglomerate of forces defeated them. It probably was very discouraging. And Joshua, remember it says in Joshua 7, 6, Josh tore his clothes, he fell on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. Shame, embarrassment, thinking if I can't be victorious in these little things, how are we going to defeat these big armies and these giants and this and that? So if you're thinking that you can't even be faithful or, or you can't conquer these little things or battles in your life and you're discouraged because you can't move away from those, it's time to come up and come out. You kind of got to keep in mind that the Israelites, had they, they began this, this uh, movement into the basically what God had promised them. Joshua was kind of wondering, now, man, if we can't even defeat this little army, what's going to happen when we face these greater enemies? It's kind of like right now, if you can't get over this little besetting sin, how are we going to be able to survive when all hell breaks loose on this earth? When it becomes illegal to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. How are we going to be able to face those things if we can't get up and walk away from these little things, these stumbling blocks? He kind of began then at that point to succumb to this false reasoning of the enemy, of his own flesh. Maybe, why didn't we just stay on the other side, the other side of Jordan? It was safe there, and the enemy starts talking to him. Why we even start this whole journey of Christianity to begin with? If I would have known what was going to happen, I wouldn't even have began it. So the enemy will come to you and say, you, you've underestimated your enemies. You've, you've, you've overestimated your own strength. You've overestimated the, these promises of God that he's giving you. And now you're going to be defeated. You're going to be humiliated in the sight of man before God. You ever think that people are going to find you out? You're going to be humiliated, your weaknesses 
Therefore, we, we, we stay in bondage. God is telling you tonight, New Hope Church, He's not done. He's not done with you, no matter how far deep in despair you are in, spiritually. You're not where you should be in God. And it discourages you because you think you never will be to that place. So what's the sense of putting forth any more effort? We're going to wrap up in just a couple of minutes. And we're going to give God time to respond to us. You can be certain that those types of lies were bombarding the mind of Joshua. And trying to stop him from what God wanted to do through his life. So maybe you have kind of experienced some of that lately. Maybe some mockery from the enemy. I wanted to point this out. I used this as a status the other day as well. You must not succumb to the fear or the spiritual depression. You must not believe the voices that come to try and convince you that you have bitten off more than you can chew. That you believe promises that may be true for somebody else but not true for you. Every promise of the book is mine. Is that true or is it not true? Now, God will decide ultimately what he wants to do through your life, but through a sincere and genuine, obedient, submitted, surrendered saint. After a lot of times we're spewed up onto the dry land by a whale. Because sometimes it takes that. So don't buy into the lie that your life is never going to have any impact. I've bought that lie. Have you ever bought that lie? And it's constant, isn't it? It's constant. It doesn't let up. Or that you will never have the victory. Have you been there? Seeing that we've kind of already been defeated in our lives by a very insignificant enemy. I'm telling you, these lies of the enemy have the potential to stop us in our tracks and to send us even deeper into depression and despair. We have to make a decision tonight. Are we going to continue to listen to the lies of the enemy? Or are we going to come against those things and choose to believe that God is faithful? Are we going to choose to believe? Stop making promises to him, but start living by the promises he's made to us. So listen, it kind of, maybe it's just that the Lord has to deal with something in our lives. He's trying to deal with something. In some cases, it's been a couple of months, some 20, 30 years, dealing with things. And in and, and Joshua's case, here's what he said to Joshua, and I believe this is what the Lord is saying to New Hope Church tonight. He simply told him to get up. So Joshua rent his clothes. He's down on the ground till evening, it says, and he says, get up. There wasn't really a whole lot of compassion on that. Okay? God kind of knew that there was, and we know the story, there was something in the, in the camp that would weaken the entire uh, Israelite army. So in his mercy, do you know that's in his mercy? So in God's mercy, he would not let them move forward until it was dealt with. We cannot be victorious in these battles if we are holding on to something that we shouldn't be, 
So I'm asking you tonight, New Hope Church, if God has his finger on something in our lives, obey what he's telling you to do. Obey what he's telling you to do. Obey, obey, obey God. Obey God. For the sake of what God's going to do through this church, in this community, in these days. And he's gonna be glorified for all of it. It's not worth holding on to something that is, that is, that is diminishing or depleting our strength. I wanna be strong, well, get rid of this. Stop doing that. We have to obey God. So in, that you are uh, this integral part, we're gonna get into the altar call here, but in these moments when you are tempted to be overcome by spiritual depression, you must remember that there's a much bigger plan happening behind the scenes that you can even perceive or understand. There's a lot going on that we don't know. You can kind of fade the lights down and, and, and uh, if you would stand. I want to, we want to spend some time at the altar tonight. Um, remember, this spiritual depression is much different than any other kind of depression. I'm not talking about these other kinds of depressions, but I will tell you this, that spiritual depression, um, and I know some of you can attest to this, spiritual depression can and will lead to emotional depression, psychological depression and despair, physical pain. Has anyone been there? Where you're just, God is talking to you and speaking to you and we don't obey and we don't get up and we don't seek him and it just... It proves that God is all our strength in every area of our lives. So you're just a little part of this huge, incredible picture that God is he's painting, but you are a very important part. If you come across somebody who, you know, say you came into Maysville Elementary and I have, we have 1,100 kids. Let's say that 1,000 of them were taking part in a puzzle. We're all 1,100 and you have 1,099 pieces put together and we're like, look at this great picture. But when you walk in, your eyes would immediately go to the missing piece. You are important in this fight. You are, individually. We must be obedient to God. We must move forward in fulfilling the call on our lives in this hour